You're listening to Threads Radio. I'm Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
I opened an episode of this show, ooh, a couple of years back I think, with a piece by James Weeks called Summer, and the one you just heard there by London-based acoustician and composer Georgia Rogers feels to me like a natural segue right down to the name itself, September. It's taken from her recently released album of the same name, and features eight different chamber works of hers that reflect her compositional interests in counting repetitive processes, and group listening. For September, she wanted the piece to suggest counting methods used to track bars and the notes within them, and the piece does that by keeping to a discernible rhythm, with the instruments, in a sense, taking the place of a metronome. Whilst the counting methods themselves are fairly simple, when they are nested amongst the five instruments in the piece, a little more complexity emerges. She said that she loves hearing these procedures unwind, I find it allows me to focus on the sound of the instruments in a different way when it's sort of predictable what's coming next. And for me that seems to put a finger on so much of what can make minimalist music of all stripes satisfying. It's the familiarity of certain structural elements as they recur that lets other details of difference come through and have real meaning. I also find it interesting that she works as an acoustic engineer, specialising in architectural acoustics. Many composers these days no doubt have a more sophisticated understanding of acoustics than perhaps was the case with previous generations, when everything was more contained on the score perhaps, dots on a page and so on. But not so many, I guess, also work professionally in the field, and there's no doubt no end of scope for crossover between the two professions. That was performed by Apartment House. They are Mira Benjamin, violin, Bridget Carey, viola, 
Anton Lukovecchi, cello, Mark Noop, piano, and Simon Limbrick, percussion. And the album, September, was released on Another Tambra in 2021.
And that's the sound, and then not quite, of La Serenissima, aka the Floating City, and a dozen other subriquets for Veneto's fabled capital, in Natasha Barrett's Impossible Moments from Venice 2, the opening track from her recently released album Reconfiguring the Landscape, just put out on the UK label Persistence of Sound. The five pieces on it originate in a series of site-specific projects in Venice, Graz, Oslo, and a Norwegian fjord, each of which sought to capture, engage with, and reflect back their respective environmental contexts. And they explore ways in which the listener's perception of surroundings can be focused, highlighted, and altered. What you hear on the album are in effect remixes of these projects, composed from the installation recordings, with the intention to capture the immersive personal listening experience of being there for real. But they're real and also hyper-real, because although relaying specific playscapes, Venice in this case with its church bells, children's voices, and seagull cries, we're not hearing straight field recordings, but rather sounds that have been rearranged, layered, and subtly morphed in order to create the pieces you hear. Listen carefully, and those bells are protracted and smudged, the birdsong altered until it becomes something slightly uncanny. A couple of further listens also brought home to me that it's just got a brilliantly well-conceived structure, ebbing and flowing at what feel like just the right times. Definitely one to listen to under headphones for full immersion. It's both brilliantly recorded and evocative of worlds both real and somewhat beyond in a manner that reminds me of Chris Watson's seminal El Tren Phantasma that I featured a few shows back, with both of them working so well as records in their own right, so much more than simply a document of an installation. It's a really fascinating medium that I'd love to see more exploration of.
the sound of the Baroque, or some lost folk form perhaps, refracted there through the writing of John Lely. That's his beautiful piece, Meander Selection, written in 2018. London-based, he's also the co-curator of the concert series Music We'd Like to Hear. They're putting on some great events with interesting programming across the UK. That piece is from his, I think, debut release, also called Meander Selection, and containing a series of recent chamber pieces in various formats. A bit like Georgia Rogers, he's interested in the variety of sounds, correspondences and experiences that can arise through the use of limited materials. So though the surface style of one piece to the next on the album can vary pretty considerably, Michael Nyman-esque minimalism one moment, sacred music or drone the next, there's a sense of an underlying process and interest in small increments of change. That piece was again performed by Apartment House. In this guise, they are Mira Benjamin and Gordon McKay, violin, Bridget Carey, viola, and Anton Lukovici, cello. And the album Meander Selection was released on Another Tambra in 2022.
the macabre imagination there of Marcus Felström, who sadly died back in 2017 at the age of only 37. Inspired variously by Debussy, Ligeti, Bernard Herrmann, Altecker, and Twin Peaks' Angelo Badalamenti, and you can hear the influence of all of them across his music. He was a highly individual talent, working across multiple genres, including ballet, orchestral, and electronic music, alongside filmmaking and scoring the soundtrack for the AMC series, The Terror. That last commission was no accident. He's got a real ear for the gothic and unsettling, as the piece you heard there, reanimation music, makes the case, with its tremulating female vocal and flutes, the sound being simultaneously mangled and rebirthed in a creepy amalgam. It's taken from his second album, Gebrauch Music, originally released back in 2006. The title translates as utility music, and each piece on it reflects a different use. So we have war music, dance music, art music, even death music. But there's a definite irony at work for me, in that the treatments are often less utilitarian and more subversive, often twisted, bordering on the hallucinogenic. Here's one more from the album. Maybe you can have a go at guessing the use for this one.
a moment out from the freakery and horror, but it is still pretty creepy. That was Consolation Music by the late Marcus Felstrom and taken from his sophomore album Gebrauch Music, now re-released on Miasma as of 2019. Letting a hundred flowers blossom And a hundred schools of thought content Is the
should develop freely. And different schools in science should contend freely. We think that it is To impose one particular style of art Oh, school of thought And to The not slightly surreal and deadpan reimagining of the 100 Flowers campaign there in 2011's Ex Chairman Mao's by British composer Leo Chadburn, who often goes by his stage name Simon Bookish, and who works variously across classical, experimental, and popular music. He's got some really interesting previous releases under both names. In particular for me, 2020's The Subject, The Object, which contains two remarkable pieces cut to exactly 20 minutes each that I didn't quite have time to fit into this show. Anyway, the one you heard there is from his most recent release under his own name, 2021's Slower Talker, which showcases his appetite for text setting. A list of 70 moth species on one piece, topographical features around freezy water North London, and a stream of consciousness on the chemical elements of various perfumes on two others. Those texts are set against mostly minimal music, with pianos, strings, and not a few moments of silence, making for these strange songs which seem to delight in creating new synthetic meanings between music and speech. I like that piece in particular, I think, because it seems a bit less like a page torn from an encyclopedia and a bit more like an ironic take on an actual event, the seeming liberalisation of the 100 Flowers campaign, in which the opening up by Mao's Communist Party to public discussion, even criticism of itself in 1957, was quickly followed with an authoritarian crackdown known as the anti-rightist campaign. There seems to be a bitter irony 
even absurdity to these events to me. And I love the moments in this piece when it seems to make that hint, such as when the harmony sour or slightly the wrong quote-unquote notes are used. The performers, Apartment House again. This time, Mira Benjamin, Gordon McKay, Violin, Bridget Carey, Viola, Anton Lukovici, Cello, Kerry Young, Piano, Reed Organ and Cassiotone Keyboards, Mock Noop, Piano, Simon Limbrick, Handbell, Max de Wardner, Electric Bass, and Sam Cave, Electric Guitar. And the album, Slower Talker, was released on the Library of Nothing in 2021.
some gorgeously finely wrought chamber music from Stockholm-based Lo Christensen, a sound artist and composer who has been closely associated with Damka Palette, a collective of musicians who highlight and perform music by composers who define themselves as either female or transgender. You heard there the final two pieces, Melon Room 3, Melon Room translates roughly as gap or space, and Simply 5 from a series numbered 1 to 5 from their debut album, Fernie Melser, released earlier this year on the experimental label X Cathedral. Fernie Melser translates doubly as both sensations and perceptions, and the pieces on the album investigate the use of silence as a means to punctuate the otherwise sparsely written notes. It was written for the somewhat unorthodox combination of alto flute and two baroque violas, performed respectively there by Raquel Emily Emma Helen Paulson, Elijah Morgan and Tove Bagger, and was developed alongside them through collective exercises and experimentation, partly as a means to challenge and unlearn the bodily and musical expectations associated with traditional performance techniques. The score also includes instructions for the players to focus on the rhythm and strength of their breathing patterns by observing the breath's natural dynamic swells and accents. The collective observation of breath changes the mental state of each musician in a way that then colours the character and timing of the music. What comes from this is of a sombre, intimate character, but it's full of tiny nuances, flutters and pitch slides, with the players coming together and moving apart periodically in a way that really draws you in. Recommended in total, that album. Thank you. 
That whole record has got a really unique sound that both reflects and belies its production. You heard that the second track, two, from Anthony Manning's somewhat cult classic, Eyelets in Pink Propylene. It was his debut album, and it's renowned for its unorthodox method of programming and sequencing, created entirely on a Roland R8, which is a drum machine rather than a synth per se. It does though offer a pitch shifting function in which the numerical values attached to each sound, ranging from minus to plus 4800, could effectively be programmed to give a makeshift scale. He'd tap out rhythms in real time using sounds from one of the R8 ROM cards, mostly, according to Manning, the dance card number 10, and he then used the pitch slider in real time to improvise melodies for each voice and later editing each note individually, adjusting its numerical value to the nearest multiple of 400 in order to fit with his scale. Sometime later, he began to note down by hand the structure of the music on graph paper, drawing each piece out using the Y axis for pitch and the X axis for time and then sequencing them with the R8's built-in sequencer. It's a somewhat mad and incredibly laborious process. Each of the five pieces apparently took weeks to produce, and he's compared it to stop-motion animation. Your days are filled with painfully tiny incremental changes that seem to be getting nowhere, he said, but slowly a shape, a narrative, starts to appear. Then all of a sudden, somehow, it's done. After the record was finished, he vowed to never repeat the process again and said that he finally got a chance to sleep again after months of severe sleep deprivation. The title of the album, meanwhile, is a reference to environmental artists 
Christo and Jean-Claude's 1983 piece Surrounded Islands, which involved islets surrounded in floating sheets of pink propylene plastic. Apparently Anthony Manning happened to read a magazine article about it and found that there was something about a particular set of words within a random sentence that seemed pleasing and somehow appropriate. Islets in pink propylene seemed to make as much sense as anything else, he said. I do like the record. As a historical document and technical feat, it's fascinating, and also as a certain type of mood music. Even if the five pieces on the album have a pretty austere quality, and they can sometimes veer into sameness, something maybe to do with the use of the same scale on each of them perhaps. But there's also something really key, I think, in its blurring of the line between pitch and rhythm that was undoubtedly ahead of the curve in terms of the innovation just starting to come down the road in 90s electronic music fields like Braindance and so-called IDM. Also, despite Anthony Manning's completely understandable wish to never repeat the process, I think it speaks to the evergreen creative value in hacking bits of musical kit, along with the virtue of sometimes just doing things, well, the really hard way. Eyelets in Pink Propylene was released on Erdile Discs in 1994.
That is the opening movement one of Manchester-based composer and conductor Jack Sheen's second release, I think, with the unassuming title of Solo for Cello. It's a roughly 35-minute work of fractured pointillistic near repetitions, written for and played there by Anton Lukovici, and it features the cello being microtonally retuned and prepared with a heavy metal mute, thinning out its sound by dampening the instrument's natural resonance. Most of it is played using harmonics, achieved via the technique of applying only light rather than full pressure to the string in order to bring out its higher harmonic components, rather than the regular fundamental pitch. It gives a sound that is hollow and wispy, but sharp and bright in the higher registers. And with the other hand, the bow is used with an unusually delicate touch, and the piece makes use of a technique called flotando, literally in the manner of a flute, which involves playing over the fingerboard in order to bring out the airy sounds of the bow's hair as it whispers across the strings. Jack Sheen has said that he wanted the cello to sound as distant and liminal as possible, with a lot of bow sound and strange resonances from the harmonics. And he's also recommended listening at low volume and through speakers positioned as far away as feasible in order to give much needed distance where the music is able to occupy physical space. I really like that attention to detail and the sense of a home environment becoming a part of the performance space. It makes listening to recorded music somehow so much more active. That album, Solo for Cello, was put out on the Trilogy tapes earlier this year.
that for me is one of those pieces that on first listen just pushes itself straight into your musical memory. And it's one of those pieces I've tried not to replay too much for fear of reducing the pleasure of the first few listens. It's called The Ringing World, and it was written in 2015 by Brooklyn-based Swedish composer and performer Adrian Knight. It's a real cliche, I know, to say it's something you could dive into, but with this piece, that sense to me feels really palpable. I think it's the combination of the lush yet static minor chords with the ringing tones of the vibraphone and piano relayed via the overall production, which is really superb. Some excellent miking going on there. Formed of five short sections, which are strung together into one, it's actually rhythmically palindromic, both as a whole and within each section, albeit with layers of rhythmically looser material floating in between, forming melodies and tensions that are sometimes resolved and sometimes left hanging. Each movement contains subtle changes of what's previously been heard, but in such a way that the surface remains basically unrippled and the harmonic progressions continue intact. The title, meanwhile, comes from the official journal of the Central Council of Church Bell Ringers. Adrian Knight has said that the plight of the ringers may be lost on the corpses and newborn babies, but it points to the greater power of sound as made manifest by physical struggle or human suffering. Each sound, a small strike against the frictionless vanity of the financial and political hierarchies that make up the bulk of our inheritance and our reality. It was performed there by the New York-based trio Beethoven. They are Pat Swoboda, bass, Carl Larson, piano, and Matt Evans, percussion. And it's taken from their album, Trios, that was released on Cantaloupe Music back in 2017.
so much as I hate doing fades, sometimes that's all that can be done in order to feature a piece, the one in this case being around 80 minutes long in total. It was the opening of Solo for Tamburium by Swedish polymath Catherine Krista Hennix. Active since the late 60s, she's created a massive and innovative body of work across numerous fields spanning minimal music, computer programming, poetry, sculpture, mathematics, and visual art, pushing the technical and conceptual boundaries of these media towards singular ends. She was part of New York's downtown music scene, and she worked with some of its key figures, such as Henry Flint and Lamont Young. Then, in the 70s, she studied the nature and use of musical harmony as a disciple of Pandit Pran Nath, a master of the Karana tradition of Hindustani classical music. Those teachings were central to her own investigations, as was the devotional practice of carefully tuning and sounding the instruments so as to be in a state of continuous, even flow. It was in effect the start of the development of a style in which dense sonic textures gradually emerge from the multi-layered interplay of harmonic construction and dissolution. Solo for Tamburium features an instrument of her own design, a keyboard interface controlling a bank of 88 recordings of precision-tuned tambura, their thin, long-necked instruments found across Central and Southern Asia, and it allows her to create a continuous flow of harmonic and melodic interplay. Built up of densely layered textures featuring prominent harmonics or overtones, the effect is something akin to a maze-like sound world that pushes the music and the listener into what Hennix calls divine equilibrium or a distinctionless state of being. The music here, like with many of her other pieces, uses particular intercolliding modes in a reflection of geographically disparate yet stylistically interconnected worlds of Indian raga, Arabic makam, and the blues, to name three. It's meditative music designed to provoke altered states of thinking and being, but within that meditation is an almost blistering, psychedelic degree of activity and micro-detail, with dense clouds and swirls of rhythm, melody and harmony being conjured up through the performance. Another one for a deep listen, and watch out for a live performance, as she's been doing a few recently, I think. I imagine that'd be something pretty amazing to behold in a live setting. The album Solo for Tamburium was just released earlier this year on Blank Forms. That's just about it for another episode. The Tonic will be back either in late December or in January. As ever, you can check the show's Instagram page for confirmation of the date, the underscore tonic underscore, and drop me a message at any point via Instagram or the tonic.online, where you can find access to all previous episodes of the show and an archive of the artists and recordings featured. Thanks to everyone at Threads, to Gabe, to Rosie, Lee, Freddie, and the whole crew. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening.